If you're able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Ezekiel 36, 29 a Therefore, says to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into my own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remote I me mean, sorry, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave you to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness. Our New Testament reading is 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instruction we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God and your sanctification that you obtain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no transgress and wrong his brother and his matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in the holiness. Therefore, whoever disregard this, disregard not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We're getting a little feedback from those. Please join me in prayer as we open up God's word. Our Father in heaven, how grateful we are to you for your word. And Lord, we are particularly thankful for its everlasting nature. The word that you have spoken to us, Lord, speaks to us eternally. It's eternally true. It eternally applies to us. And you will fulfill it in time for the glory of your name. So bless us now, Lord, as, we, as your word is preached and as it is heard. May you, Lord Jesus, be exalted. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. 
the movie Avatar. Some of you may recall that. It was about, a, well, this is not all it was about, but uh, there was a quadriplegic man who, who transferred his consciousness via science. You know, he transferred his consciousness into an avatar and he moves to another planet in order to fight the things that he saw there and he, th he thought, you know, well, I want my life to count for something. Let me go fight. Uh, but but yeah, the, movie, the movie was popular back in 2009 and it became one of the highest grossing movies of all time. The movie grossed more than $2.7 billion worldwide and recently it was remade and re-released. Now, as with a lot of science fiction movies, there's speculation that what you see on the screen can actually take place in real life. Like, can you really transfer your consciousness to another body? Would it make you better? Would it make it better? Would, would it make you better? Would, it, would moving to another world make us a better race? Now, the question is, why do movies like this grab the culture's attention? Is it a dream? that the culture has, that we have collectively to be better? Do we long for new bodies to replace the ones we have? Do we long for, for new bodies that go along with a new planet? You know, moving one's consciousness is a fantasy, like the movie Avatar. But the desire to have better bodies, to be better people, who inhabit a better world, now that's a real longing. It's a real longing. And in that sense, we all experience a dysphoria. Who can make you, who can make a new you? How can we be made better people? Who can make us fit for a better world? God can. And in, the in fact, the text says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now we're in a series of sermons, if you just join us, we're in a series of sermons about the gospel and human sexuality, how the gospel is good news for the sexually broken and we've been learning our body, our gender, and our sexuality are a gift from God. And they're not something to base our identity on, but, but, our, but Christ is our identity. And that being part of a body, being part of, of being his disciple, rather, it, being a disciple of Christ, is to steward one's sexuality in a way that honors Christ and his word. The disciple is, is not content to remain in the image of God and, and merely in, in the image of God and, and fallen. He or she desires to be made into the image of Christ who has redeemed their brokenness. So our sanctification is God's determination and delight. The gospel is good news for the sexually broken because it tells us that God is at work now to change us completely into the image of Christ. Not by our own power, but through the power of his spirit. And this is called sanctification. And God does not, does not merely, he's not, he doesn't do this merely for our sake, but for his own name's sake. So God, 
who makes us holy is at work in the progress of our walk as we pursue God's will, mindful of the warnings while acquiescing to the Holy Spirit's work. So let's think about this. God is at work in the progress of our walk. Look at verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. See, it's good news this morning that if you are sexually broken and you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you don't have to remain that way. God is at work in the progress of your walk. See, there's an imperative here, a command, where we are obliged to walk in love and holiness since we are in the Lord Jesus. This verse looks back at the end, on the end of chapter 3, where Paul gives us an indicative that's based on the fact of what God will do at the coming of Jesus. He says in verse 11 through 13 of 1 Thessalonians 3, he says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. See, the fact that God and Jesus will establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints is the reason for the imperative to walk and please God more and more. Without the indicative, you can't perform the imperative. See, in other words... If God doesn't act first in bringing us into his presence, moving us into his family, moving, bringing us into his company, we won't measure up to his standard. None of us are as holy as we think we are. Now, this is true. It's, this is true in all of scripture. God moves toward us so that we can move toward him. Isn't that what our Old Testament reading shows us? In verse 22 of Ezekiel 36, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And then verse 26 to 27, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules do you see God acts first the indicative this enables us to move toward him the imperative now I think that so Paul I think Paul must have had this text in mind when he when he writes 1 Thessalonians 4 1 through 8 because Paul couldn't talk about the matters of sanctification if God hadn't already said what he was going to do in giving us giving his people new hearts. And see this is how the gospel of grace works in us. The indicative leads to the imperative. And so Paul would say we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us the word, see, that word receive means to be in association with, to be in the company of. In other words, in fact, in the fact if the fact of the Father and the Son, Jesus, are establishing your heart to be blameless in holiness, then you ought to walk in that more and more. See, there's the progress. 
we're not, this is true, and you, can, you don't have to shout me down with any amens. We're not, we're not sinless all at once. Yeah, see, yeah, you know that's true. <laughs> yeah, but sanctification is progressive. It's progressive. The Westminster Confession acknowledges this reality. It says the sanctification, this sanctification is throughout the whole man, yet imperfect in this life, there abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part, which arises a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, in which war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part does overcome, and so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Yes. See, I knew you liked the Westminster Confession of Faith. Yes. So, so make progress since the progress of our walk is related to our pursuit of God's will. Look at verses 2 through 5 of 1 Thessalonians 4. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. The progress of our walk is related to our pursuit of God's will. So this reminds us that the commands of the Lord and the will of God are one. And it's, it's also showing us that our self-control and the holiness and honor that we give to the Lord is tied to our knowledge of God. See, our tendency is to think that the will of God is unknowable. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to know. But we're told here what it is. Our sanctification. God's will, God's will see, is both his determination and his delight. See, God is determined and delighted to make you and I better than we are. Hallelujah. See, God's will is for us to overcome sexual immorality, pornei, you know, that, 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 that word we talked about in, in, the, in the last few sermons. You know, but self-control and self-control and holiness and honor are all related to our knowledge of God. And this knowledge of God is a distinguishing aspect of the Christian community. You see what Paul said to them? You're not like the other nations. You're not like the, you're not like the Gentiles who don't know God. They're not, they're not just Gentiles anymore, but they are the covenant community of, of the people of God. And that changes your conduct. It changes your desires. And that Greek word there, and that, that, that phrase, the passion of lust, that, the Greek word for lust is, is epithumia. Yeah, and it means to, to over-desire, to over-crave. So it's not just a desire, but it's an, an inordinate desire. But you want the thing too much. It may not be a bad thing, but it's you want that thing too much. So you can like ice cream. But if you sit down and you eat the whole carton of ice cream, yeah, that's an inordinate, you've got an inordinate desire. Yeah, see, and your, de your desire has a pathos that thrives in the darkness of not knowing God. And this text is teaching us that, see, that, that is true. That, that's, that's exactly what Romans 1 tells us. That, that, that pathos, it thrives in the darkness of not knowing God. And this text is teaching us 
that is the fight against, in the fight against our sexual brokenness, we need the instruction of the Lord. We need God's word. We need the community of God's people. And, and, and you, know, you might think that that's hard to see there, but you actually, you know, when, you're, when you're reading Greek, they, the, the, the pronouns are, they're personal and they're possessive, but, the, but okay, so if you're parsing it, it's, they're personal and they're possessive, but they're, they're also plural. And so, so it, isn't just, it isn't just you as an individual. Yes, it is you as an individual, but it's each of you. It's all of you. It's you together as a community. So this sexual brokenness, addressing our sexual immorality, it's to be done in community, as a community. Now, that's a different, that's, Paul is, Paul is, he's just blasting the culture in what he is suggesting. You help each other remain pure. You help each other overcome sexual immorality. You need the Christian community, but also the, the, you need... You also need a knowledge of God that exceeds your over-desire for sin. Now, so, so do you know how good he is? Are you growing and delighting in the God who delights in you? Do you know how much he loves you? And I tell you, when, when you begin to grasp how much God loves you, it will break the hard-heartedness of your heart. And it, change, it will change your desires. You see, it's good news this morning that if you are in Christ and you are struggling with your sexual brokenness, you are not alone in the battle. No. God is determined you will be sanctified. It is his will. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, he writes this. He says, Christian love, either towards God or towards man, is an affair of the will. If we are, if, if we are trying to do his will, we are obeying the commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. He will give us feelings of love if he pleases. We cannot create them for ourselves, and we must not demand them as a right. But the great thing to remember is that though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. It is not wearied by our sins or our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless in its determination that we shall be cured of those sins at whatever cost to us, at whatever cost to him. Hallelujah. See, it's good news this morning that even if you are assaulted by, by the desires in your sexual brokenness, in your struggle, that God doesn't kick you to the curb. He doesn't say to you, you're worthless. No. But knowing that God delights to see you sanctified will lead you to call on the Lord for strength and help. See, your pursuit of God's will and its success depends upon receiving the Lord's instruction and delighting and hungering for the knowledge of God. Consequently, the pursuit of God's will keeps us mindful of the warnings. Look at verses 5 and 6 of 1 Thessalonians. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. 
So here's the reason. Here's the reason to pursue God's will in our sanctification. The Apostle Paul lets us know that there's no way to continue in the lifestyle of in a lifestyle of impurity without incurring the vengeance of the Lord. See, the verse tells us that there's no such thing as harmless sexual immorality. The immorality, this immorality is like an act of overreaching. That's the word, that's the word transgress, to take, an, to take advantage over. Sexual immorality is not without its victims, even if you are one of them. And since it has the idea of someone taking advantage, exercising and abusing power over another, crossing boundaries, the Lord is the avenger. You may not get justice in the court for what has happened to you, for the abuse that you've suffered, but God is the avenger. See, this idea of Jesus, that, that, that Paul picks up here, you, know, you get an idea of what Paul's Christology is because you know Psalm 94:1 refers to the Lord as the Lord is the God God of vengeance. And so does Paul is that what Paul has in mind as he's now seeing Christ as the avenger? See the pursuit of God's will is mindful of the warnings of the vengeance of the Lord. Now why is why is this important? Well if you recall in his read the scripture, sexual immorality is something that is punishable by death. So it's if the will of God is for the people of God to be holy, this means that a death took place to provide for their holiness. Whose death? Whose death would provide for the people of God's holiness? Well, look at verse 10 of, of 1 Thessalonians, of, of chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. It says this, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And what wrath is to come? Well, look at 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 8. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. The vengeance comes on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Say, I don't know that I like that, Pastor. If you like justice, you like this. Now, there's no point in you talking about justice if you don't want God to act justly, because God does. He does act justly. So, there, there, so, so, so you you can't say I don't like this about God, but at the same time, you want justice for whatever it is. So, so the pursuit of God's will and being mindful of the warnings is to place your faith in Christ. His vengeance comes on those who do not obey the gospel. The provision for holiness is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. In Christ is deliverance from the wrath to come. Christ's deliverance, in Christ's deliverance, we find that he died to bring us the holiness that we couldn't provide on our own. 
The Father and the Son are at work. You see, the Trinity is at work here. The Father and the Son is at work to make us holy. Hallelujah. In verses 12 and 13, again, of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. God is at work. The Father and the Son is at work to make us holy. Therefore, being mindful of the warnings, we acquiesce to the Holy Spirit's work. Look at verses 7 and 8. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives us, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. See, it's good news this morning for the sexually broken to hear that the Lord who would punish their sin, who, who would punish their sin of sexual brokenness, is the Lord who has borne their punishment himself. That's a good place to say amen. Yeah. You might ask, why would the Lord do this? Why would he take the punishment for my sin? In verses 22 and 23 of Ezekiel 36 again, therefore say to the house of Israel, to the people of God, thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. That word that's translated vindicate is the Hebrew word for sanctification. I will sanctify my holiness. Now, he, what, so, so why would he take the punishment for your sin and mine? He does it to vindicate his holiness. He says, it's not about you. Oh, but you benefit. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, it's not about me, but oh, the benefits that, 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 that it provides. That God wants to vindicate and does vindicate his holiness, his name, benefits us. Hallelujah. Yeah, so, so, so why would he do it? Because he, he does it to sanctify his holiness so that the nations will know that he is the Lord. You see, Jesus, being perfect man and perfect God, provided the vindication of the holiness of God. That God, he proved, he showed that God is holy. He's transcended in his holiness. There's no other purity like his. There's, you, there's, in fact, there is no way anything can be defined as pure unless you see the purity of God. God, he, he is the standard of purity. Nothing, no one else in all of the cosmos is like God. And Jesus proved that when he died for your sin and my sin. Because he died and rose from the dead and sanctified the holiness of God, he makes all those whose faith is in him holy. Now, see, you ought to shout there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He makes us holy. Yeah, it's, not, it's not the work of your hands. Yeah, as, the, as the songwriter said, it's not the labor of my hands. 
No, it's the word of God. So you and I can, you and I, you say, and you, well, I got to close. So you say, I, pastor, I can't live holy. Have you seen the world's over desire, how the world over desires sexuality? Have you seen, hey, pastor, have you seen the way the, the culture overreaches with its push to make a person not like the gender they're born with, that gift from God? It seems like it would be better for me to upload my consciousness into a better body and to head to a better world so that I can live holy. Give me an avatar. Friend, listen. Listen to God. Listen to the Lord in Ezekiel 36, 25, and 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. Microsoft Word doesn't like that word. But it's a good word, unclean. All, all of your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You don't need an avatar. You have the spirit of the living God. Avatars are not real. So yes, if you want to end your dysphoria, you want a new body, you want to be made for a better world, science fiction hopes won't deliver that. Christ does. He's given the Holy Spirit, who is God, and he is alive in all those who obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Augustine, in his confessions, he would write this, and he would, he would, pray, he would pray this prayer. Oh, love that ever burns but never consumes. Oh, love, my God, be kindled within me. You command continency, give me what you command, and command what you will. See, the will of God, brothers and sisters, is determined and delighted to make us holy as Christ is holy. Let's pray. Lord, who is it that can thwart your will? No one. None can stop what it is you're doing. And so, Lord, we bow before you as your people. And, Lord, it has, and along with saints throughout the ages, Lord, from, from the time that you have announced before the world began that you would make us holy and blameless in your sight, in your Son, Lord, we bow before you, longing for your will to be accomplished. Help those, Father. Help, my, help me, help my brothers and sisters, Lord, who all we all struggle in this world in which we live. But, Lord, may we, by the power of your Spirit, grow more and more into the image of your dear Son. As the hymn says, stamp your image on our lives. We want to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen.